Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is July 27th. We are on day 146 of Global Work from Home. And this month at Indeed is International Inclusion Month. I am delighted to be joined today by Suzanne El-Hajj, Support Analyst and Co-Chair of the International Inclusion Group. Suzanne is based out of our Dublin office, although of course today is working from home. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. So let's start where we always start, which is just to check in. How are you doing right now? I uh, thank you so much. I overall, I like to start off. I'm a little bit nervous about this, but I, overall, I'm feeling well. Um, working from home was a bit challenging for me at the beginning as I am on my own in Dublin. All my family is back home in Jordan. It was also uh, the challenge of because I am a people person. I like to be around people. I like to interact with uh, with people, spending uh, time with my team and having these little chats in the office corridors and kitchen. Um, or even like just going out for a dinner or a walk uh, or a movie even in Dublin city center with my friends. Um, But I believe the best word I can use here is I am adapting like everybody else uh, to this new norm, Uh, taking it day by day and trying to get the best out of it uh, as much as I can. Uh, Also finding like these new ways to interact with my family and friends uh, using everything, all the social media accounts that, that I have. Great. Well, let's start by talking about your own international experience. So you mentioned, so you grew up in Jordan and you now live in Ireland. So please tell us just a little bit about your background and then what brought you to Ireland. Yeah, definitely. I would probably would like to start by saying I am originally from Palestine uh, my family uh, were refugees in um, Jordan. Uh, they fled Palestine in 1948 to Jordan. I was uh, born and raised to a, in Jordan to a conservative Muslim family. We are six sisters and one brother. I know a lot of sisters. <laughs> and I am also, um, and I'm the oldest uh, of them all. <laughs> Growing up, I, uh, we didn't have, um, we really didn't have much and it was really challenging. And I always wanted to uh, continue my further education. And by that, I mean, like just getting a bachelor degree. Uh, so I can get a good job, so I can help uh, support my family uh, financially. Um, in Jordan, unfortunately, you have to have a degree so you can have a good job. Um, and at the time, the challenge was uh, education was not a big thing in my family. And like you finish high school and then marriage is waiting. And by that, I mean arranged marriage. It's someone um, the family chooses. Um, and I think that's when my very first clash with my dad happened because he was not expecting this from me, I think. And he was thinking like he's all the dads in the family. He will have a daughter that's finishing high school and off she goes uh, to get married. Um, but then he um, he had to adjust to this. Um, after uh, I, I think he was also considering at the time the clash with the bigger family because sending his daughter to college was not something that really happens uh, in the family 
also uh, like the financial situation was al already a challenge uh, so i was very very lucky he ter he uh, turned uh, he turned around and um he was a great ally and support for me in this and uh, like allow me to say something about this i'm using the word ally now because at the time i had no idea that this word existed uh, but now i understand the importance of it uh, on, the impact and the importance uh, uh, of it in in my life uh, i also had another great ally which was my mom uh, my mom stepped in because of the the financial situation and then she had to uh, sell a gold bracelet she had uh, inherited from her mom in order for me to be able to pay for my uh, very first semester at college. Then uh, these were very amazing long four years at university, very challenging. Uh, but then I, as a family, we made it. I was able to get my degree in uh, management information systems in one of the universities in Jordan. Um, then the journey for searching uh, for a job started and as all fresh graduates, it's, it was very, very hard uh, to find something and uh, obviously with no job experience, but then it worked out. I was accepted as a data entry specialist in one of the uh, small companies in Jordan. Then from there, uh, I moved to another big, bigger company uh, that was a Jordanian company, but they were operating in different countries in the Middle East at the time. And uh, it was the biggest Arabic search engine in the region. Uh, a couple of years after joining this company, uh, it was acquired by a US company. And I think this was my very beginning uh, to, to exploring the global world um, as we started to have uh, guests from uh, from all around, especially from America. Uh, so many American uh, guests in the office. Um, then fast forward four and a half years, uh, this company decided to close the Jordan office, unfortunately. And then because of this, um, of this uh, event, they had to offer some people to go abroad. And the, I was very lucky I was chosen to come to Ireland. Uh, and I came and it was because of my job um, probably something because like my job and my education have changed my life. So something I would really like to mention here and thank indeed for uh, for is the uh, the marketing campaign that we did uh, some months ago, the uh, jobs it changes. Uh, just watching this campaign was really touching to me because it was very personal and I know how that feels. I know how like a job can change someone's life because I have lived it. So thank you indeed. <laughs> and this is how I basically moved from uh, from Jordan to Ireland. So coming to Ireland from Jordan and from your experience, I assume there were some pretty large cultural differences you noticed right away. What, what was that like and what were some of the big things you noticed? I mean, like coming to, I, to Dublin was my very first time in a plane. It was my very first time, like just uh, seeing the world from uh, from above. Before I was 30, I didn't have a passport. So you can imagine how excited I was. I do remember every single detail of from leaving home to getting to the airport, to, to hopping on the plane, to just speaking in English for uh, with everybody on, on the plane was a was a, it was a spectacular um, a spectacular uh, experience. I was just like super excited to 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 to, to experience this. 
Um, another thing, when I arrived to Dublin, it was very, I think it was really funny. I like just wish that there was a camera filming me. I was like Alice in Wonderlands, just seeing the the buildings, the streets, hearing the many languages uh, in the streets. It was, um, I was so fascinated. Uh, it was also eye-opening to me how diverse Dublin is. Uh, again, just watching this, like walking the streets, you can hear all the languages and all the accents. And that was really exciting to me because back back home in Jordan, everybody speaks in Arabic. Now we do have like some different dialects, but, but after all, it's Arabic language. So you do understand it. Then uh, something also that I noticed because of this um, diverse environment, you do see um, different shades of sh and shapes of people and that was really something that I never seen in my life so it was really um it was really uh, fascinating and then uh, names was really something as well my uh, director at the time she was Irish and her name was Neve now in Arabic language you do say the name as you write it but in some other languages, like the Irish language, you don't. <laughs> so her name was always a conversation, even back when she used to visit us in uh, in Jordan. Uh, her name was always a conversation, and it's uh, because um, we write it differently from how we say it. So uh, this was also a, a good start for conversations because it opens up uh, different conversations about different languages, different accents, different cultures. Uh, and uh, like uh, with my team at the time uh, in this company. So I, I did learn a lot and I was uh, so happy that I experienced this basically. So um, because you mentioned, let's, let's talk about names for a minute. When we met last week, the two of us to prepare for this, uh, I asked you how to pronounce your name, uh, your last yeah. name in, in particular. And your first reaction was to say, oh, oh, don't worry about whatever is fine, which is something that uh, a lot of people do, and obviously the the desire to to fit in is an important one. But since this is International Inclusion Month that we're recognizing here, and when we talk about inclusion, um, I know from a lot of people that having their name mispronounced is uh, is a source of of exclusion. Now, for many names, it's not necessarily possible for a foreign speaker. Um, your name, uh, your last name, for example, El Hajj. Um, the H sound is not something that in romance languages we have at all. I had to watch five YouTube videos just to even understand what, uh, how, how to try to not butcher it uh, when I introduced you here today. Um, but it does feel like it's important to at least have that, that awareness and, uh, and, and at least ask and make the effort. And so can you talk from an inclusion perspective a little bit about the importance of, of names and pronunciation? No, totally, because I think we're speaking culture today. So that's why when you said, uh, I'm sorry for mentioning, like for saying your name wrong, I was like, don't, like, don't even worry about it. I was so happy that you mentioned my name. So let's just start <laughs> by that. Um, but I think uh, after the conversation we had, it's, um, it is important to, tr to, to try and make the effort to, to just like say the name as it is. And if I don't want to, to talk about my last name, but even about my first name. So sometimes people call me, it's like Suzanne is very international, I'd say, speaking of international inclusion group. It's very international and people do know the name Suzanne. But then if it's not spelled as they are used to, 
they may like they may say it's wrong and um sometimes people would like talk to me or chat me and they will still write it in their spelling not the spelling i have chosen for it so it is important to to make the effort it is important to try and say the name as you as you can now we obviously the differences between how how can you perfectly say it is understandable we don't all, we all come from different backgrounds so that's totally understandable but at least i can see that you have made the effort that you to make it in just saying the name uh, and trying to say the name uh, correctly means it's basically you, you're seeing, saying to the person in front of you i see you i hear you i probably um feel your pain in different in different areas because of uh, of the name so it is very important but again uh, chris i think here the culture is a good element so coming from the middle east and being uh, an arabic uh, language native speaker i do understand that our language has different like you can't say uh, for us it's different from other people who are not native speakers because we do have some letters that you have to like stress or probably say from the very end of your throat or stuff like that we do have that in the language so i, I totally understand the difference but just like for people to to understand the um uh, to try and make the effort to write, to say the name right saying the name means that you say to the person i see you i i i, I feel you uh, and it's uh, it's it's also appreciated like i i totally appreciated when you said i'm sorry i said your name wrong and it's like you didn't but okay and <laughs> uh, so it is it's so much appreciated even if someone does not cannot say the name perfectly but the effort is so much appreciated Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your your role at Indeed. So what um, what brought you to Indeed, and and tell me what you uh, focus on as a support analyst. Uh, definitely, I did stay with my first company when I moved to Dublin for a couple of years, and then uh, I started to looking for a job, and I always wanted to work for a company with a mission. And I think Indeed has the, um, and a mission, not only any mission, but a mission that impacts people's lives. And uh, probably Indeed's mission, we do help people get jobs, was very personal to me because this was my mission my whole life. I always wanted to get a good education, to be able to work in a good position or in a good job so I can, um, help, so I can help, my, help my family. And so the mission of Indeed was very personal to me. And um I first like first day I was invited to the interview and indeed I knew I wanted to work for this company. Uh, we I my interview was in our St. Stephen's Green office in Dublin city center and just seeing how vibrant the office was and it's in the middle of the city and also like the diversity in uh, like just see, seeing people coming in and going out was uh, something very and um, it was a great feeling for me. I wanted to work for Indeed even before my interview started. I was like, I hope they will take me. <laughs> and then I joined as a support analyst um, on the business operations and support solutions team. Uh, my main role is to help uh, for our frontline teams sell CS and job seeker success to overcome any technical issues our, our uh, users uh, may see on Indeed. 
Uh, we do also uh, work closely with our product teams and engineering uh, to fix these technical issues. Um, we also work with our communication team to uh, make sure that our frontliners are uh, empowered by resources to be able to uh, support our users the best. So indeed, we have five core values, and one of those core values is inclusion and belonging. And we've created a series of inclusion resource groups, or IRGs, um, that are there to help promote awareness and create a better sense of belonging for our employees. Can you talk a little bit about why we have created an international inclusion group? This is the group that you are the, the co-chair of. And talk a little bit about what some of the events and activities that you and the team have organized for this month. Definitely. The International Inclusion Groups is near and dear to my heart. I really like it. I do feel international. Uh, the, main, the main mission for, uh, for the international uh, group is to leverage and value international cultures uh, by supporting and promoting a workplace of uh, inclusion, diversity and belonging. Um, and like I think there is no place than, uh, better than indeed to have to do this as we have uh, 10,000 employees in 16 countries uh, and we want to celebrate everybody from everywhere. Um, and help them bring them authentic self to work with no fear of showing who they really are. Um, the focus of this group is culture, uh, multiculturalism and interculturalism. And sometimes people may ask, like, why do you focus on culture? And uh, my answer always goes because it is the ground in which uh, a human being can grow. It is the it's the first access to my taste in food, my taste in music, my way of of caring towards the society I'm in. It's uh, basically the first thing to who I am as a human being. And then this is obviously like moving in life. This can change, but this is my 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 grounds basically, and. Um, especially in environments and uh, in international environments where people move from may move to different countries um, sometimes uh, we tend to hide our culture identity um, maybe because uh, they try uh, to fit in in the new environment or because um, maybe afraid that they won't be included or like any other reason and as you mentioned, uh, we celebrate uh, international uh, cultures in July. It is our uh, celebration month and uh, we do celebrate different cu culture and, and at Indeed. And uh, because everything that's happening around us and like the tough times that people are going through, uh, we, we wanted to do some uh, educational uh, events um, uh, around different cultures um, so we have uh, asked people to share with us something from their own uh, and uh, we also uh, have been sharing uh, i know everybody loves music a good list of music so we have been uh, sharing a like a a, a weekly uh, music list with the people to enjoy uh, with a specific uh, theme from uh, different uh, cultures we also had a theme for this month and it was uh, we chose the humanity now, this was really, really uh, uh, like near and dear to my heart because I, uh, when we came up with the theme, I, I wanted people to feel, um, uh, I wanted people to a little bit like to see the stories from around uh, Indeed and to feel that there is hope despite the hard times that we are all going through. Um, we wanted to enforce hope, hope so we did have... Um, 
we did ask our fellow Indians to share some of their personal and international stories with us. Uh, and we called the campaign uh, Global Human Stories of Indeed. Uh, now, uh, the goal was from this campaign to foster connections and open conversations and also to give a platform for Indians to share their stories with us, um, the ones we wanted to highlight. Um, uh, to reinforce hope, as I mentioned, and enlighten uh, people's day with some amazing stories that have been shared. We did take some of the stories we have received and had a discussion last week, an internal discussion. It was uh, moderated by our very own Hines, who is our VP of um, Global Sales and CS Strategy. And it was amazing to hear these stories and um, absolutely get inspired by. Um, I probably want here to highlight that um, we, I chose, we chose humanity because I don't think there is anything more international than our human side. We all come from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, but if there is something exists in all of us, it is our humanity and it is our kind side towards each other. And I think that's what we wanted to to get inspired from uh, from these stories, basically. So you mentioned multiculturalism and interculturalism. Can you talk a little bit about the the distinction and and why this is important? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in environments like Indeed, where people come from different backgrounds and probably move from a country to another for their job. It is important to understand the differences. It is important to uh, value someone's individuality and most importantly, uh, to educate everybody about it uh, because not all of us know everything about every culture. And that's our role here as the international uh, inclusion group. Um, multiculturalism basically means different cultures live, to, live together. Simply put, it's a diverse, it's a diverse uh, society, while interculturalism is recognizing the differences, respect them, and also seeing the similarities. It's basically the deep understanding of someone's culture. We also want to help people find their balance. For me personally, when I first came to Ireland, it was challenging for me to find my balance as I came from a conservative environment uh, to this widely open environment. And it took me a minute to find my, my balance and not exclude myself from what's around me. Um, because that's what we usually do when we feel we don't belong to, to, to the environment around us. We usually exclude ourselves. So I really, uh, in the International Inclusion Group, we try to understand the, um, uh, understand the differences uh, and uh, help people uh, with the process of feeling the belonging that we want them to feel. So one of the things that we talk about it indeed is uh, barriers to finding employment and how can we understand those and, and help lower those barriers. So what are some of the barriers that uh, come up when multiple cultures get combined in a single workplace? I can think of so many. There are loads. Language probably is the biggest one. And I'm sure like you hear this a lot, especially from the international uh, international offices. When English is the main business language and the fear of talking to in English to a native speaker, I'd say, uh, can be uh, very challenging in my mind. Like if I want to speak to someone whose who's, who's who's mother tongue is English can be um, in my head, it might be very challenging, but then um, overcome this fear uh, can um, 
can really help a lot. And then also the fear of even if I talk in English, will they understand what I'm saying? So we put these barriers in our heads before uh, before we start. And something else I want I want to highlight here is sometimes non-native English speakers may give a person a very hard time for talking in English and for like having an accent or wrong grammar, like any any of these problems. Uh, and that may, may affect someone's uh, level of uh, confidence to speak the language. Well, sometimes like even speaking to a native English speaker in English, we don't see this problem. So, uh, and this obviously happened to me. So when I was in, uh, when I, I used to work in Jordan, uh, it was so much easier for me to speak to American guests or Irish guests because their mother tongue was English. Uh, rather than our uh, my colleagues because they will give me a hard time <laughs> for speaking English. So language can be uh, something big. Uh, for example, in our uh, Tokyo office, we do have 70% of employees and in indeed are expats and their uh, their language is not, uh, Japanese is not their first language. So our group, uh, I want to highlight some of the work that our group is doing there. So our group, uh, they uh, launched a language exchange club. So people will teach each other uh, languages uh, and um, on one-to-one. And this can be like, uh, just to say like small phrases or like small sentences, but also uh, maybe use it in business. Uh, and I think this is a great uh, a great initiative that our group is doing there. Uh, it, it, the main aim is to empower each other with language and give more access to each other. And it also helps building relationships. Nelson Mandela says, if you talk to a man in a language, he understands this, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his uh, own language, that goes to his heart. And that's that's basically the goal of uh, of us trying to teach um, some of the languages. Something we also focused on in our uh, Dublin office, for example, we celebrated the Mother uh, Language Day. Uh, we did have a session with several people and we did uh, we did some questions with general information. We also celebrated the, the Irish Language Day, which I really tried so hard to learn something, but it's really hard, <laughs> but I did try. Uh, and I think that it opened up a, a great inform- a great conversations. You learn a lot about uh, someone's language from these sessions. Another barrier I can think of is accent. Someone's accent can be um, uh, can be received wrongly. And I may be able to speak an excellent, excellent level of English, but uh, people may not get me valued because of my accent. And although accent it can show authenticity of a person, but it also can give them a very hard time by showing their brilliance. I have a, I have Arabic English accent when I speak in English, for example. And whenever I go, for example, to the US and people know that I live in Ireland, they always ask me, where is your Irish accent? And I go like, I don't have it <laughs> because I didn't grow up in Ireland. It's a beautiful accent. I would very much like to have it, but I don't. But I also explained to them that my Arabic English accent is just showing who I really am. And, uh, and uh, I want to help people to... And it shows also the authentic me. And I want to pass this feeling to other people who may have a problem uh, like talking uh, to, uh, talking in, uh, in, in English with an accent. 
Um, I want to highlight here maybe there are some local organizations in uh, Ireland. They are working towards um, protecting accent. There is some uh, like a good campaigns, especially in EMEA, where or like in Dublin, where we have so many people who are speaking in English, but they do have an accent. So uh, I'm trying to partner with them to bring some of their work to Indeed to do some workshops, probably around how to respect accent and how to not um uh, how to, to to respect and protect accent which is a, i think it's great given the com the diverse community here uh, and like allow or help people uh, understand that if you have an accent that doesn't make any less of you as a person or a, a, any less of you um a, to be valued probably clothing can be uh, can be a barrier um for example i'm a muslim woman and i by uh, wearing my hijab or the scarf or veil like what's easier for you uh, is uh, can sometimes allow people to um by wearing this i am showing my religion i'm telling people i am a muslim a lady and sometimes people's bias work <laughs> once they see me uh, they decide things uh, naturally because I am a Muslim with a hijab um, and they can decide which what I am based on that, which can sometimes create barriers because of, uh, of this bias, basically. And I'm just only one example. Stereotyping people uh, based on what they're wearing happens everywhere. Like, I was really shocked when I first went to America. My very first trip to America was to California, to San Francisco and Sunnyvale. And I was, like, shocked by the less formally people, how people are uh, wearing clothes to, to work. They were less formally than what I am used to. And I was like, hey, Americans are so chilled. <laughs> They're like, yeah. So it was, so for example, this is a culture, this is a culture thing. I We didn't have this in Jordan. And... I didn't see this in, in so many places. So clothing can be something, uh, religion as well. I have to talk about religion because I am a Muslim lady, obviously. And um, and uh, my religion, and by wearing, again, by wearing the hijab, I'm, I'm telling people I am, I am Muslim. Respect this, this is this in a way. Um, for example, we are uh, in Islam. We're asked to pray five times a day, and mostly two to three of these uh, of these prayers happen during working hours, and depending on if we are in the summer or in the winter time. And um, when I first moved to Ireland, first thing at the time my director did was making sure that I have a nice, clean, cozy place to pray, and I had everything I needed. Same thing happened when I joined Indeed. The first thing my manager did was to make sure I have access to the wellness room and everything was okay for me uh, to be able to perform my prayers in. And I, th I thought in both cases, I was very lucky because uh, both of them uh, did know much about Islam and they did know the importance uh, of this to me. Uh, and they were very educated about that. And most importantly, even if they didn't know much about this, they knew how this important to me. And that made me feel that I like this place. I want to be in this place. Um, now, I was one lucky person to have this, but sometimes other people may not have the same level of understanding. And they may not have like an understanding manager or their offices may not be uh, ready to, to, to to do to have something else and again i'm one i'm only one example maybe there are some other people with other requirements or other needs they want they need in in their 
a work environment. So just understanding what a person a person need, um, and this can be can be very very um, can be very exciting. I'm sorry, I just like bombarded you with barriers. I hope no. you're not like. That's no, fantastic uh, answer. Um, so the last thing that you talked about in terms of showing up in a company and having someone be thoughtful enough to to show you a place where yeah. you practice your your prayer. That's a, a perfect example of inclusion. And when when we're talking about trying to create a more inclusive workplace, uh, education and awareness feel like a really important starting point. So how how can we do that to help create a better workplace for everyone uh, definitely we what we need to do especially from uh, our inclusion resource groups is be able to build an open culture where our differences are respected valued and accepted we did see uh, so much in the pandemic and some unfortunate incidents towards some communities because of the coronavirus and it was so hard for me to see personally and it helped me to be more open to understand what these people are going through and accepting um, uh, accepting them uh, as well. I, I think it is a, the, the only way I can see this happening is not the only way, but like the best way is to be, as I mentioned, the word ally was, uh, I know the word ally like just recently and um, being an ally to uh, not only to our com communities or to our the causes we care about, but also to the human beings we work with. Um, when you see someone as a human being, you will value their, you you will value as all the labels. If this is the right term to use, uh, they put on themselves. Like for example, I'm Muslim. I'm a woman. Like all of these labels on me. Um, we are all different yet very similar. If we understand that, uh, that would be perfect. And then building these uh, all these uh, projects and all these uh, programs if, if from this start point, I think uh, this would be a good um, a good start. Um, we do. We all seek a good uh, a good quality of life. That's. Uh, I think that's our our mission as human beings. We we want to have a good life. Uh, we want to be appreciated, and most importantly, we want to be seen. Uh, we all have. Um, we what we need to do as well as an allies uh, as allies. We need to use our voices and support each other uh, to achieve that. I do, I do, I do value indeed for doing this and providing an environment of openness for people to express themselves in a very respectful way. I think one example to to this in the before the pandemic happened last year, we had celebrations like our Christmas in the year, the Muslims' Christmas. It's called Eid al-Fitr. And uh, something that indeed did at the time, we did have like a corner uh, with all the sweets and desserts that Muslim people usually celebrate at this time. And I was so fascinated by this because I didn't ask for it. Usually I would raise a question, like, <laughs> well, I didn't. And I was surprised to see the corner with all the Arabic coffee and all the usual desserts that uh, we do have. Uh, and I thought that this was a great thing to do, a great initiative. Uh, another example to this, I'm so sorry that my examples are related to Muslims, but these are the ones I like worked on. Um, we do have uh, this year, We uh, during the pandemic, we did have uh, Ramadan. And for people, if you don't know what Ramadan is, it's a month in the year where Muslims fast from 
uh, from uh, dawn to sunset and we we do this for 30 days and we did partner uh, my the international inclusion group with the agency group in london uh, we uh, we work to create awareness around the month and how can people support their uh, their colleagues and if uh, and if how managers can uh, can also uh, support uh, their um, their direct reports uh, and I thought this was a great example on how can you take something and then show the impact of you supporting someone else uh, can be well to um, wrap up. Um... You know, the last several months have been incredibly challenging for so many people, but there have also been some new perspectives, new insights, and uh, new ways of uh, of staying connected that have come out of, of this experience. Uh, on a personal level, are there any things that have happened throughout this time that um, leave you optimistic for the future? I generally, Chris, I am a very optimistic person and I know this can be very annoying to some people sometimes, <laughs> especially like my clothes is different. They go like, you're so annoying. <laughs> um, but I always try to find something good about what's happening around me and focus on what I can control basically, because this is what um, I can do in hard times. Uh, and also, I think this also comes from my origins as a Palestinian person. Uh, Palestinian people live with hope and they call out for justice all the time. So, uh, and, in, and as well from my religion as a Muslim person, uh, we do believe that whatever happens is, bar is part of a bigger thing that God has for us. And probably the most amazing general thing that I have seen in during the pandemic is how we as human beings can adapt to change and turn our survival mood on and go on. Um, the many stories we have heard about how people came together and helped each other during the pandemic, it just tells me how um, that humanity wins, like no matter what the humanity wins. Another thing that I would very much like to say, speaking of humanity, is that um, how indeed leadership focused on people during the pandemic while uh, making sure the business is running. Uh, and I would very much like to thank you, Chris, and thank uh, all the SLT, um, or the senior leadership of Indeed for showing the human side of great leaders. Uh, I definitely was inspired and I'm sure I am um, uh, inspired by you guys putting people first. I think uh, I'm also sharing a lot of Indeedians voices by saying this um, and um, um, this is this makes indeed a great place to work in and very hard to leave. I'm not leaving anytime soon, but <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, I think because people know now that they they matter, and I think I like we have seen from the so many questions during our um, weekly meetings how people uh, are thankful uh, for for the leadership of uh, indeed. Another thing that I thought that was brilliant is the U day we just got like um, until the, the end of the year. This was a great example of how indeed uh, leadership is listening and trying to show all of us how that we are in this. Uh, we're all in this together. Um, maybe one another thing that I would very much like to share uh, with whoever is watching or listening uh, to this. Um, and maybe having a hard time. I while I like growing up, I didn't have much, and uh, but I followed my dreams. 
Um, this I, I don't know if you have the picture, but there is a picture, if you can put it, in my family's doors balcony before. Uh, we used to share this uh, balcony with our neighbors growing up. It looked over the refugees uh, camp that my grand great parents uh, lived in when they came to Jordan. I used to stand uh, in, on this balcony and just to dream and think of all the stories these people have and thinking of, um, of my dream. I, I just want to say dreams are valid no matter where you are and no matter where you're from. I have... Um, I probably have not achieved my personal or career goals yet, but I am enjoying my journey. Uh, it's important to believe in yourself and chase your dreams and don't be afraid of showing who you are. It's uh, what your culture is and uh, where you came from, so you know where you're going. And thank you for the question. I really like it. <laughs> Suzanne, thank you so much. It was such a delight to talk to you today and to get to know you as we were getting ready for this conversation. Um, and thank you so much for everything that you do for Indeed and to help create a more inclusive workplace. Um, it was just such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, thank you, like the thank is extended to you as well for having me and allowing me to share my stories with Indeed and our extended speakers, thank you, audience. Thank you so much.